Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick, and this is episode number 172 of the Mandolins and Beer Podcast, brought to you in part by my favorite website, The Mandolin Cafe. Also brought to you in part by Acoustic Disc, where you can go and check out this week's guest's newest recording, and a few of his other recordings as well, and an episode of a podcast he did with uh, with the dog himself, the dog and Danny Barnes on Acoustic Encounters. Links are in the description, and also brought to you by Grace Design Preamp. Again, there's a reason why when someone has to plug in their beautiful instrument, they trust Grace Design Preamps to plug it in. All right, we did it. We got the episode ready to air. I want to thank Rodham not only for um, being a guest on the podcast, but for also um, helping with the audio. It was really a huge help. Sorry it took so long, but we've got it. We're ready to go. So without further ado, I'm just going to dive right into the sponsors here so we can get into this week's episode. All right. Peghead Nation. With Peghead Nation's streaming video courses and mandolin, guitar, banjo, fiddle, dobro, ukulele, and bass, you'll learn bluegrass, old time, and other styles with some of the most talented players and instructors in Roots Music. Who you ask? Why Sharon Gilchrist, Joe K. Walsh, Mike Compton, John Reichman, Aaron Weinstein, Marla Fibus, Chad Manning, and Ian Curry. It's got a brand new Elmo that is absolutely incredible. The courses include high-quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab, play-along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play. Just go into Peghead Nation's video courses now. Get your first month for free. Go to PegheadNation.com and use the promo code MANDOLINBEER, all one word, at checkout. Northfield Mandolins, let's build more than a mandolin together. Check out their website at NorthfieldMandolins.com or download their app at mandosummit.app for lots of special performance recordings, demonstrations, and special workshops. Ellis Mandolins, handcrafted mandolins designed and built in Austin, Texas. Speaking of building mandolins, if you want to get a foot up on all things mandolin and mandolin construction, you should go to straightupstrings.com where Roger Simonoff's books will steer you in the right direction. For instance, the Luthier's Handbook. The Luthier's Handbook is a valuable aid to anyone building or repairing acoustic string instruments. The book's 94 pages and includes chapters on how acoustic string instruments work, musical acoustics, woods, instrument structure, bridges, soundboards, backboards, truss rods, finishing, coloring, and a primer on tap tuning. Best part from Roger, he's given you 10% off. Just type in the code all caps Mando Beer at Straight Up Strings. Tone slabs, slabs of tone. I got two brand new ones this weekend, two different gauges in the CJ Lewandowski favorite shape, the signature model, the 08 model. And I played six hours worth of gigs with those this weekend, and I am loving them. Tone slabs is focusing on two things, tone and musicians. Check and check. Head over to toneslabs.com and get yourself a Tone Slabs pick today and tell them Dan Patrick sent you. And Elderly Instruments. Elderly Instruments is your trusted source for new, used, and vintage fretted and stringed instruments. For the experienced to beginner player, their vast selection of mandolins, guitars, banjos, ukuleles, and did I mention mandolins? Includes all of the accessories and books to go with them. All instruments are inspected and set up for easy playability and our down-to-earth and knowledgeable staff are there to help. Now in their 51st year, they're family-owned and operated. They ship worldwide and you can visit them anytime at elderly.com. All right, let's get into this episode with Rodham. If you want to pick up on Rodham's backstory, again, the best place to do that is the Acoustic Encounters podcast that he did with Dog and Danny Barnes. And I was just super excited to talk to him. I've loved his playing for so long. He's fearless. You're going to hear all about it here on this episode. Cheers, everybody. (laughs) 
All right, now it is my pleasure to welcome to the podcast Radom Zenkel. Radom, how's it going? It's going great and good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. Now you are in the uh, Czech Republic currently. At the moment, yes, I am. Yes, but you're going to be coming to the States. You're going to be coming to Savannah and to North Carolina here in the spring and summer months. That's right, yes. So people can check you out. You're going to be playing with the uh, the Gur Orchestra. Yeah, the Gur Mandolin Orchestra. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at the Savannah Music Festival. And uh, I believe our performance is on April the 4th. And, and Mike Marshall kind of heads that up, right? Yes, and it's a, you probably know about the concept, but maybe I should mention just the basic plot. Um, it's a sort of like a living memorial of a real mandolin orchestra from Poland, which was a Jewish mandolin orchestra in the pre-war times. And uh, during the World War II, they were basically you know, slaughtered by the Nazis. And a uh, grandson of one of the members, uh, Avner Yonai, wanted to create a sort of a living tribute to the orchestra and legacy of his family and all these players. So just about 15 years ago, he asked Mike Marshall to gather a group of mandolin players, 11 players, to recreate that orchestra. And uh, we sort of took some educated guesses of what the repertoire might have been at that time. And, you know, playing some Jewish music, some sort of a popular music of the 30s and 40s, you know, some Italian polkas and, and such. And it's been going on. So uh, very much uh, looking forward to the performance. And then the Swananoa gathering, are you going to be an instructor there? Uh, yes, I've already taught there a couple of times and then uh, once virtually during the COVID times. So uh, looking forward to be back in person and teaching a couple of classes. So I I first discovered your music when, boy, when I first picked up the mandolin and I was just trying to find all of these recordings, you know, and, and I stumbled across David Grisman, then I stumbled across the Tone Poets album, and two people that have really become some of my favorite mandolin players, Jake Jolliffe, I discovered there when he was just a kid, but your song, Spring Break, is one that stuck with me, and I actually dug through some music books that I've had where I transcribed stuff, and that's probably within the first 10 pages of stuff that I started trying to figure out by ear. I love that song. Wow, wow, thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm honored. <laughs> I just love it too because it's so chord based and that really goes into this brand new album eastern grass you have got to be one of the most well-rounded players in as far as technique goes i mean your 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 lead playing full fluid just beautiful your rhythm playing is just as exciting as your your solo playing and your single note playing well, thank you. I'm excited about this project because it's a duo concept with the incredible Czech musician uh, Ondra Kozak, who plays guitar and violin, you know, equally well. 
and he also plays dobro and, and bass guitar and, and sings. And, um, you know, I have uh, some solo recordings uh, under my belt from the past, and it was really special to work on a duo. And, you know, we've been playing together for about two years, and, um, you know, duo, both of us feel like it's just the perfect number. You know, both of us have uh, done some solo performances and been, you know, member of n- number of bands, but duo, it's it's something like in between, you know, there is enough freedom to still be yourself, but also there is somebody to back you up, so you, you can go more free during the improvisation, and there's the basically the common sense of sharing the time and playing with the musical time, so it, it's very exciting, and you know both of us play several instruments. You know, besides the mandolin, I play there also some wind instruments, w- different whistles and flutes, and even the didgeridoo. And it's great to find sort of a less common combinations of sounds and tonal textures together. that on um, Bonaparte's Retreat and uh, Angeline the Baker yeah. that you that you chose the didgeridoo to play that on two songs that in the you know like in the states would be traditional like you'd catch them at a jam in with on a mandolin and the fact that you chose the didgeridoo is just so cool <laughs> yeah I think you know it's it's certainly a very drony instrument and some books say that the didgeridoo is the oldest instrument in the world so I believe it more than qualifies for the old time music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that to say the least. How did you how did you put the songs together? Because it really is a great mix of uh, some some cool instrumentals, some original tunes, some traditional tunes. Um, the song Leela, what a what a cool song. <laughs> Yes, that I think it's based on some Indian mythology, you know, India as a country um, about the soul and that life is just a game and uh, and all the aspects of how living is and how just we have to take it for what it is. And um, I first heard it on another acoustic release. Uh, there was CD by Jody Stecker years ago, and I, I immediately loved it. It's it's written by Willie Schwartz, and um, so we put together more sort of a bluegrassy uh, arrangement. And you ask about how we came up with the list of the tunes. Those are the tunes which uh, or pieces which we play live. You know, all of them. And um, we do other stuff. We do some also Celtic numbers and some classical numbers, but we wanted to have some concept and um, decided that our first recording would be the sort of a, in the style which has influenced us both the most, the bluegrass. But since both of us come from the Czech Republic, you know, there is certainly 
some uh, resonance of our eastern roots, so hence the eastern grass. And so we wanted to feature some original tunes uh, from both of us, some American tunes and uh, some traditional Czech or Slovak-influenced tunes and a couple tunes from our friends from over here. So. Yeah, it's a great mix. And the cool thing about it is they still, they all have a a vibe of this underlying theme where it all fits together, where on paper you might look at this and go like, well, I don't know, you know, and then you hear it and it's just, (laughs) yeah, it's just really a beautiful collection of tunes. Oh, thank you. Thanks. The first track one, speaking of beautiful tunes, Twin Peaks, which which is an original of yours. Yes, I wrote it years ago in San Francisco. It's named after the beautiful Double Hill, which kind of towers above the city. And um, that's one of the tunes which I recorded um, years ago with the guitar player Richard Mendel, who played Dead Get Guitar. But with Ondra, we played as well. And uh, he does a great job in standard tuning, plus, you know, plays lead and we do trade-offs. So we wanted to feature that tune as well because it's a very different arrangement and our friends ask for it. You know, when we play a show, they want to hear it on a CD. So that's why it's there. But you know, we love to play it because it's each time it's fresh with new ideas for the improv and such. Did you record all these tunes in one session? Uh, no, no. We sort of took our time because we both had, you know, busy years with with families and other projects. So um, we didn't want to rush it. We said, hey, we'll give it as much time as needed uh, and it will be only done when it's done, you know, <laughs> and we are happy with it. So, and that was kind of comforting, you know, it's thinking about what should the arrangement be and such. So it, it was kind of nice to not have a deadline for once, you know. <laughs> How long, how, like how how long of a time was it, time frame wise, like as far as years? Um, uh, about nine months. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's great. That's not bad at all. Yeah, yeah. And then firewood, which which features the uh, the Zinkel style, which we'll, we'll talk about in a little bit here. But w- again, what a great song. Thanks. Um, gosh, you know, <laughs> I guess, you know, idea comes to you and then it works as, you know, I, I heard you, your podcast with Joe K. Walsh about, you know, how does tune come to life, you know, and uh, I share the same uh, same feeling as probably, you know, most of us that, uh, you know, it's a combination of some idea, which we could say comes from above and then the musical craft, you know, so uh, usually there is some some thought which is sort of genuine, just the idea of a melody or a concept of a rhythm or of something. And that's sort of a genuine, that's without thinking any musical theory, it's just a sound or some sort of a materialized vision. 
And it's usually short by itself, so it needs to be extended into a full-blown piece. So then the musical craft comes to it. Uh, I guess some distant um, inspiration uh, would be some Spanish flamenco music in 3-4 time. You know, I, I remember years ago as a kid, I, I heard some of those sort of a fast waltzes or, or six-eight time feeling, and I liked it, and it ever stuck with me, and uh, so it came out here, I believe. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's it's fantastic. Then track nine, not gonna be able to pronounce the first word slash forget me nots. You also play mandola on that as well. Yes, I have a, a single-string mandola built by Breedlove, and uh, that's a piece written by a friend from um, the Czech Republic, Milan Jorek. It's called Pomněnky, and uh, it's it's a sort of a song which he wrote to his wife who then was in a hospital in very tough conditions. So he wrote that song sort of to support her, to give her energy and strength to cope with it. Wow. So it's very emotional. Yeah. yeah. And that single string mandola really lends a cool, cool feel to the song. Um, yeah, thank you. And, and furthermore, you know, the writer himself, he died in a car accident a few years later. And this became like his legacy in music, this song. It's like the most well-known song of his. So it's almost like as if, you know, he would wrote it for himself as well in some odd way. So it's well known in the bluegrass circles in Czech Republic, and uh, we were, you know, happy to include it as well to honor Milan, you know, the writer and and, and his legacy. I mean, it's just beautiful to to hear it in in the, in the native language as well. You know, it's just just it just adds to the to the whole vibe of the song. It's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, and that was our idea to definitely include at least something in Czech and in Slovak for the contrast and just yes just to sort of showcase the language yeah well man the, the recording is 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 incredible I, I i love it i was stoked the minute um you know acoustic disc is a sponsor of the podcast and craig is so kind to send me when the new releases come out and uh i'm like i <laughs> have got to get him on the podcast so i have to thank craig as well for for uh sending me your email information so we could make contact and get this get this to happen great yeah no the, the people at acoustic this david grisman and um, tracy and uh, craig miller are, are just wonderful to work with you know old friends and uh, it's it's really special to to do another project together yeah yeah you have uh two other projects with them uh yes. was it galactic mandolin and check it out yes way back yeah in the early 90s yes also a reminder to people listening, you've got a really cool past and your story is incredible, but all that is discussed in an Acoustic Encounters podcast just recently. So I really highly recommend that people go over to Acoustic Disc and check out that episode. And so that way we can talk about some other things without getting into your backstory in, in the sake of time, because there's just so many interesting things about your playing, man, that blow my mind. I, You're... you're 
you're fearless. I mean, watching yeah. you on YouTube, you know, you're you play with a little bow, you play with a stick. Like I I love the way you approach the mandolin as in there's zero rules. And I would love yeah. to know how you kind of came up with that approach and, and the fearlessness to, you know, to do it. Well, thank you. Well, you know, I started um, by playing folk music, you know, first started on guitar, then later switched to the mandolin because there were many guitar players. And um, I played in, in a Czech band, I guess, when I was 15, and we played folk music and what's called like the Czech tramp music, which was, I guess, similar to the Western cowboy music here in the States. And um, then when I was... 17 i joined a czech bluegrass band you know i, I was really uh, into bluegrass because of the energy and and just the speed of, of playing and it was very exciting you know to a teenager <laughs> <laughs> and um and that particular band uh, played very much traditional bluegrass you know by bill monroe and stanley brothers so it was a great school for me and i stayed there for about a couple of years and then later on, I formed my own band, Turquoise, where we played more progressive bluegrass. You know, we sort of were inspired and play copies of Newgrass Revival and Skyline and, and others. And later on, our own original music with Czech lyrics, sometimes English, and then um, some instrumentals. And uh, so I, I felt like I've traveled the bluegrass path from the roots to the more modern and then at the you know same time i discovered music of david grisman and, and other you know great mandolin players like jetro burns and you know mike marshall and, and was more interested in swing and jazz and, and latin and it's sort of a continued and um in 1989 i moved to united states in in the summer and was was interested in exploring the mandolin as, as much as I can, you know, making it also a more sort of a solo instrument for me or coming up with uh, ways how to play the melody and the accompaniment. And then, uh, you know, besides the various techniques, I felt like there's a need at the show to give it some variety. So not everything would be played with the same technique or, or even the same style of music. So it was for the sake of the audience, but also for my own sake to, to give it the variety. So to keep exploring things and bringing influences from other string instruments and, and then just from other instruments and even just uh, other forms of art. It, it's amazing to watch. <laughs> I was yeah. just like, you know, it, was, it, it keeps your attention for sure, which is, uh, you, like you said, trying to make it more interesting. So that works. Is there something in, in your mind that you've like, this should work on paper, but just did not work on the mandolin? Um, well, I mean, it, it's always, uh, you know, a route where you try different, different things. And, uh, you know, m many routes my you know, end up to be a dead end road, but then you, you come back. And <laughs> I remember the, like the, that, that my sort of Zenko style technique, which is sort of a takeoff on, on the duo style, but I, I'm using uh, two picks or two finger picks. Initially, I, I started playing with a nail on my middle finger. So it was a pick and a nail, but eventually the nail broke. So <laughs> I was done. <laughs> right. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> Too much practicing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I replaced it with a you know plastic uh, 
finger pick and eventually uh, moved on to using uh, using it on my on my index finger. There was also a period where I I literally tried two picks. First, I would you know hold one in a standard way. The other, I held between my middle finger and ring finger, but that was pretty tricky. I mean, you, you could you could come up with some sounds, but the right hand was pretty tense. So then I would tape the, the picks to my hands, one to thumb, one to the index finger, and that was better. And then basically ended up using uh, you know finger picks. The, the thumb is just a plastic finger pick, and uh, the index. Uh, finger pick is a modified Dunlop, uh, you know, plastic finger pick. Wow, uh, it is like I understand, like re- you know, reading it, y- y- you see it, but then hearing it, it is just it <laughs> scrambles my brain <laughs> to, to to try and even think about how to approach that. Now, um, I know uh, you probably heard some of the Evan Marshall stuff. Was that a little bit of some of the? Was that kind of an inspiration? Absolutely, yeah. Um, right uh, when I moved to the states in August, I've I visited David Grisman, who I, by the way, I met him at a, a concert of Bill Monroe in in San Francisco at the Great American Music Hall, and uh, we got to speak. And he kindly invited me over to his house and studio, and we spent the whole afternoon jamming and talking about music. And he also played me a number of um, great mandolin recordings, and one of them was. Uh, the Evan Marshall's um, CD, Mandolin Unlimited. And uh, until that point, I, I haven't heard about Evan. And uh, I was I was really astonished. It was just amazing. So uh, very inspiring. And I got to meet Evan, you know, shortly after that. And um, in the early 90s, we uh, played a, a number of um, shows together where we would both play solos and then a bunch of duos arranged in various ways on two mandolins and uh, a few other instruments. So it was a lot of fun. So Evan was definitely an inspiration. You know, I studied the traditional uh, duo-style technique. Even before I met Evan, I was familiar with Giuseppe Pettini, the Italian mandolin master, and uh, played some of his music, And but Evan took, took it much further. So it was a great experience. And then I just sort of went on and, you know, I guess created my own style, not, not really even wanting it to, it just sort of happened, you know, it, it, was, it, it felt some, somewhat natural that it just kind of led into it. So I said, okay, well, this is it. <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, no, I, I've never spoken with Evan and I've heard his recordings, but he does his, when he plays, it's just, is it just one pick? It's one pick, yeah. It, it's incredible technique. Yeah, you end up, you know, skipping the, the strings and stuff. It's 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 a lot of work, but it's what he does. It, it's a true mastery, and I'm I'm glad that he's doing it, and um, I'm, and I'm also glad that I you know have something different. We don't compete together <laughs> in that, <laughs> right, but right. hopefully inspire each other. And uh, when you when you were working that out, especially with the the multiple picks. Um, I, I've always wanted to play, for instance, like finger style blues on acoustic guitar. And I got okay at it. I wouldn't say even good, probably. I got a couple things that I could whip out at a guitar store where it sounds like I, I know what I'm doing, you know. But um, w- the technique with that was like kind of just playing the thumb and getting used to your thumb, you know, going from, you know, note to note, string to string on those top three strings. Now, when you were working on technique, for using two picks, how did you 
kind of separate the two parts for you practicing wise? Yes. Well, basically, uh, you know, it is tremolo and some other sounds, either, you know, some arpeggios in, in a cross-picking style, you know, various speeds, or uh, tremolo and strumming, or sometimes even two tremolos on non-adjacent strings, like on an E and, and G. You know, before that, I did a number of arrangements in a chord melody, sort of using the guitar style of playing chord melody, where the melody line would be the highest note of the chord, and uh, either playing with the pick or even with fingers on the single string mandola and humbucker pickup, so it sounded uh, really nice and jazzy. But uh, I wanted to also include the tremolo as our sort of a signature mandolin voice. And so basically the index finger takes care of the tremolo. And it's done, you know, technique-wise in a fashion as if it was played with a pick. So the same motion, you know, of the hand, but it leaves the thumb free. And uh, I worked on it in a slow tempo, you know, playing the tremolo. At certain point, the tremolo became more sort of automatic. And then um, I worked on including the notes from the thumb. So that's... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so that, that's the right hand work. Of course, uh, you know, there is a lot of responsibility in the left hand as well, because it, ha- <laughs> you know, it has to <laughs> play that chord melody, right? So the, the full chord and, and, and voicings, so both hands together. And then, and going from that style, and then the the experimenting with the stick. What was what was the because um, I, I you know the the bowing the the tiny bow that I mean I guess I can yeah. see like oh that's you know you could play violin you could play strings that works and then but a stick <laughs> again like yeah. how how did that come about? Well, it was in the early nineties. You know, I've came to the states to play music and to be sort of within the, the mandolin and, and bluegrass circles. But occasionally you meet, you know, other people, who not necessarily, you know, experienced musicians, and they would ask me, ah, you, you came from the Czech Republic, and you have a mandolin, so is that like a typical Czech instrument, you know? <laughs> and I said, well, not quite, you know, it's Italian and such. And so what would be a typical Czech instrument? And so I was thinking, and, you know, we have, you know, of course we have violin and a bagpipe, and uh, in southern parts of the country, there's some Hungarian influence, and they used a cymbalom, which is like a big hammered dulcimer. And this is from the eastern part of the Czech Republic, the region called Moravia, and it's the southern edge of that eastern part. And to me, that's that's the most goosebumps, you know, like a really, really music from the heart. It's it's just a, just a beautiful sound of this hammered dulcimer you know, along with other instruments, but the cymbalom, it is the real deal there. So I thought, well, what if I try to use the cymbalom technique on the mandolin? So first I would start it with the pencil and just let it drop on the strings and uh, it bounces off and creates uh, something like a short tremolo. (laughs) (laughs) And and I God, God, I love it, you know? And uh, so it it worked. Eventually I started using a a harder stick and uh, I been using it ever since, you know, not all the time, but, uh, you know, here and there. Uh, I think first time I used it was on the opening number of the Check It Out CD on an original tune inspired by the traditional Czech music called Eastern Feast Yarn.
the other thing that's great too is again you know a lot of mandolin music is very um it gets sort of relegated to a chop background not all obviously but a good majority if you're if you listen to a lot of bluegrass yeah. is you know you know a chop chord which is an art in itself, you know, yes. uh, go listen to Adam Steffi and be like, what <laughs> yeah. was that? Po- how was he doing this? But your rhythm playing and especially on this new album. But again, going back to even spring break is just beautiful. And I think it's I, I, it, it's a whole nother part of playing, I think, that sometimes gets uh, passed over. When people look at the mandolin, you know, they focus on the, 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 the rhythm chop, but you still maintain rhythm, but with melody. It's really beautiful. That's sort of a, one of my, I'd say, favorite techniques because it's, uh, it's not as hard, you know, in a way. You have to know all the inversions of the chords so you can basically create the chord melody it's, I think it's similar to like playing a mountain dulcimer, you know, where everything is like a chord and then the highest note, you know, would be the melody. So you could have like a, you know, G chord where the G is the highest note. And if the melody goes G, A, then you play the G chord with the A, you know, extra note. And it creates like the G9 and and it feels very free. You know, the, the spring break, uh, the main theme is on the three lower strings. So the E string would be muted uh, with the index finger, uh, the side of the index finger. And then I tried to play it with the right hand so the A string, the, the highest string, would come out as much as possible as the melody. You know, we can kind of alter the angle of our strumming to make it come out. And um, once you get the melody come out... It feels very free, you know. Some of the other techniques, like the duo style or, or the playing with the stick, you have to kind of really, you know, focus and uh, be very careful about each note. This one feels more open, and uh, to me, I feel like you know I can give even more emotions to it because you know it, it just kind of goes. You, you can really sort of whack the mandolin, you know, <laughs> like of better terms. And so it's very energizing to me, and I believe I'm able to pass on the energy to the listeners, hopefully. Yeah, I'm glad I discovered that because it really did help me think about rhythm in different ways and also open my mind up. Again, because I came into blue, I didn't come into mandolin through bluegrass, you know, um, initially. And for me, it really opened my mind to be like, wow, you can really, there's a whole bunch of different ways you can you can play this thing. And And the other thing is it never, when you're doing it, and obviously over, I'm sure, a lot of work, but it never interferes or pulls away from the other person who may be soloing, especially on this new album. It just adds a whole nother movement. Oh, yeah, great. Thank you. I mean, that's, I think, another aspect of the duo playing that... uh, you have more freedom, also more responsibility to, you know, for your rhythm (laughs) part. And... uh, yeah, we wanted to make the texture more varied and, you know, not just boom, chuck, boom, chuck, even though sometimes it is there. And I get inspired by Andra a lot too, you know, his guitar playing, his rhythm guitar playing. To me, it's a killer, you know, it's beautiful voicings and cool rhythms and great sense of timing. So it's inspiring. You know, if you play with somebody in a duo, you basically... Uh, perhaps even without much, you know, conscious effort, you start imitating them, you know, in in a good way, you know, trying to sort of uh, match the sounds, you know, to to be in a sort of a similar boat. So that's the inspiration, you know, from each other. 
And even when he plays the backup on the violin, you know, that's in the third piece, the Josefina Lust, it's in Swedish. And uh, great chops, and you know, on the violin. And um, again, you can get inspired by that even as a mandolin player, you know, not just hitting all four strings, but sometimes two, sometimes three, you know, lower strings, sometimes just one string, sometimes muted strings. Uh, mandolin offers a lot of colors. And then as if playing with two picks, uh, a stick a bow, other other accessories isn't enough for your album, Galactic Mandolin. Can we talk a little bit about the tuning and the whole theme of that album? Because that, again, is just another mind-blowing process. Uh, thank you. Thank you. It was, you know, um, before I got to the United States, I decided to record my first album, which uh, was to be a sort of a like a sampler of all the styles which I played that time. So there were some you know, bluegrass, some folk music, some classical music of different periods, and even some rock pieces on electric mandolin, and that was like the sampler. And then for my second recording, which was the first in the United States, I wanted to have more of a tight concept. And um, sometime before that, actually a few years before that, I remember hearing a copy of Frank Wakefield's LP, and, uh, you know, great mandolin player. And um, then I heard some sounds which I didn't really recognize, but I got really inspired by that. It was during the times where we would never see a jacket of an LP, you know, behind the Iron Curtain. Somebody would smuggle in an um, LP of music from the West, and then uh, people in the bluegrass circles in the underground would make copies on reel-to-reels. So we would get the recording, but didn't have the track numbers, even the names and the instruments, And but we could recognize a lot. But on Frank Wakefield's LP, there was one sound which was very odd to me, and I remember remembering that sound and uh, years later trying it without really listening to the LP. said, well, I bet, you know... He's retuning the mandolin because it's such a rich sound. You know, I, I never doubted that he would play anything else than the mandolin. And so I, <laughs> I tuned the mandolin into the minor thirds. And uh, to me, it sounded really cool. Uh, I liked it. I said, this is, this is pretty much it. Yeah. And I wrote a piece in it. The harmony, you know, especially with some double stops, reminded me some of the arrangements for the big bands. So I dedicated the piece to the Czech jazz composer Jaroslav Ježek from the 30s. Later on, I discovered that Frank had played it on an auto harp, which, um, <laughs> which of course, has many more strings and different sounds. But by that time, I didn't even knew that, you know, auto harp existed. And <laughs> yeah, I would wow. never guess that he would pull it. You know, now, of course, it's very obvious. But if you never heard of it, you don't know about it, you said, okay, it must be some kind of a mandolin tuning, you know. So that was the original piece in minor thirds. Later, I thought, well, gosh, what if I try other intervals? So then a major third. I said, okay, I'm going to try the minor second, a major second, and then, you know, perfect fourth and fifth and um, all the others. And uh, I said, gosh, that would be a concept for the whole CD, you know, all the intervals from unison 
until the last piece, number 13, which would be in octaves. modifying the mandolin to have a tunable bridge for each string from the pair to make it basically longer for lower strings so it would be more in tune, getting you know heavier gauges for each second string. But after that, it was a lot of fun because it was very creative process. You know, you couldn't use much of your existing knowledge of the left-hand scales and shapes and patterns. It was just all new, and uh, I just loved it. I had a lot of time on my hands. This was in, like, 1990, 91. And uh, also, those days, I wasn't as familiar with the sort of a music, musical business and building the musical career. I just loved music and new stuff. So I, I said, okay, this is going to be great. And... So there's, you know, there's some harder modern stuff, some dissonant stuff, but to me it was perhaps the most honest recording from the artistic point of view. You know, I didn't think about, okay, is this going to work for the audience? Is the producer going to like it? Or, you know, what about the reviewers or whatever? I said, gosh, I believe in this. This hasn't been done. I want to do it, you know. So I was very excited about it. Wow. I mean, that's the one thing I get from listening to all your recordings, too, though, is they all sound like they're coming from the heart. I know you you mentioned, you know, thinking about the music business, but when I listen to your recordings, I just think about this super inventive guy that is looking for sounds and trying all the ways you can do it to get them. And it just is really inspiring. Yeah, great. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Let's let's talk a little bit about some of your instruments. Now, I do know you did lose some instruments in a house fire a few years back yeah, yeah. in California, which is yeah. just so sad. I'm so sorry to hear that. But you but you still have do you still have some of your original instruments or did you have to start from scratch? Um, yeah, well, I want to say, you know, luckily I was on tour. So I had my main instruments with me. Oh, great. Mandolin, uh, which is built by Rostia Chapek, the Czech builder and, and a friend. And then um, my Brill of Mandola and, and some of the woodwind instruments. And I just want to say that it was a, you know, very tough thing. But um, then again, the main thing is I'm glad to be alive. You know, yeah. not everybody was, was as lucky, you know, it was tough. And I'd like to thank once again to the whole musical community and especially to David Grisman and Acoustic Disc who started a GoFundMe fundraiser and uh, just, you know, so many musicians and friends helped in. And it was sort of a connecting element in it, you know, and just feeling the support of the whole music community was just overwhelming. So thank you all. And uh yeah, you just go. The things which I missed the most was um, some original music ideas. From the time uh, when I was you, perhaps the most creative period, like between 23 and, and, and 33 or, you know, or so, 
uh, where I really wrote a number of stuff and couldn't record everything. And, and this was before the internet, you know, before, not before the internet, before computers. You know? <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> <laughs> I got my first computer like in 1996, you know, some people had it earlier, you know, but I was just, just, you know, paper and pencil and, um, and so I had a lot of ideas and also just demo recordings on cassette tapes, you know, and I said, okay, someday I'm going to come back to that, you know, and make it into a piece. So those those are the things I miss the most, you know. I, you know, in one way you, you would think, well, you know, I wrote them, I should be <laughs> able to write it again. But <laughs> yeah, not really. That was, that was that, you know, different, different decade of life, you know, different time of life, more creative. But, you know, hey, it is what it is. You know, then I, I guess to comfort myself, I say, well, if I, you know, didn't finish it in 30 years, then I guess, <laughs> who knows if I would ever <laughs> did. But, you know, if, if I could go back and, you know, retrieve one thing, that would be it, the file of the <laughs> original manuscripts. Because <laughs> the instruments could be could be replaced. I mean, there were some heavy losses too. I had a beautiful vintage Czech mando cello, which is on the picture of the Check It Out CD and a handful of other instruments, I mean, number of other instruments. But, you know, hey, you got to move on and just be thankful for, for the other aspects of life and life itself. So it's fine. So the, um, the, the uh, Chopic mandolin, I was super lucky to have a booth next to them at IBMA this past year, and they make beautiful instruments. Um, yes, uh, yeah, Rostia, um, uh, he really, you know, he's been doing it for a long time. I've, I've known him even before I left. Uh, for the state, so from mid '80s, and um, he studied violin making and um, built uh, all kinds of mandolin instruments, not just mandolins, but um, yeah, and variety of mandolins. Some even with the overhaul or you know A style, F style, mandolas, active mandolins, mandocellos, and um, it's really nice to work with the luthier, you know, on your next instrument. So I, I'm glad I could have some input. And he makes it custom for me. One thing is, I have big hands, you know, big, big size uh, palms and fingers. So, in a way, I always say that I should have been a bass player, not a mandolin player. <laughs> 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 kind of too late. So, um, and when I moved to the States, uh, I met a player who had a wider necked mandolin in San Francisco. He was a classical guitar player. So, he had a mandolin built, you know, with a wider neck, and I tried it, and immediately I loved it. Uh, just to have more space, more feeling for each string, and not, you know, muting the other strings, especially for the chord melody playing and such. So it's great that uh, Rostia accommodates that, it builds me mandolins, even the F5 style with the wider neck. You know, he has to move the scroll a little bit, but it still looks, you know, <laughs> like an F5. So that's mm, good. Right, yeah. Yeah. And so I have two F5s from him, and currently he's making me two mandolas. One of them is a Ooh. standard A model eight string mandola, which uh, it's almost finished. So I should have it for the Gare Mandolin Orchestra gig in April, where I play mostly mandolas. So I'm excited about that. And then he also is building me a single string uh, mandola, which will have the humbucker pickup and will be more jazzy instrument, more for my you know solo playing. And that one is like a two-point mandolin, so some more sort of avant-garde design. So I'm also excited about that. And then um, you the you have um, Breedlove. It looked like you had uh, when doing some research. I, 
and again, I think this really is a, a great example of, of your out-of-the-box thinking, because whenever I see the Breedlove mandolins, I always think that was a really out-of-the-box approach to construction of mandolin. And then they chose you because they wanted somebody who would represent someone, you know, playing outside of the box. I'm like, well, that's, what a perfect pairing. <laughs> it was great, especially earlier on. Yeah, this was in, um, I think in 98, I played a concert in Oregon in Bend, Oregon, and, and they came to my concert and offered me a collaboration, basically to build me a mandolin and uh, do things together. And I said, well, um, you know, I have a mandolin, but I could really use a cool mandola. I said, oh, well, yeah, so let's make it. So it's the mandola, which I have, it's sort of a hybrid. It's a, basically a mandolin-sized body, but it's much deeper, and it has a longer scale, so like a mandola scale. And um, it was a prototype. It was built in 2000. And we had a great collaboration, especially early on when they were a smaller company. So I did a number of clinics for them uh, all across the United States. For about three years, I got over 100 Breedlove clinics where I would play the mandola, but also teach flat picking technique on a regular mandolin, even on the guitar, because it's basically you know similar technique. And uh, just talk about uh, practicing and stuff. And it, it was just, just a lot of fun to go from music store to music store, meeting different communities. You know, once it was a two-month tour from California to, to Vermont, to, to Florida, to L.A. And, and back down. So uh, like basically four corners of, of the States in two months. And so, yeah. Wow. So, <laughs> yeah. These days, you know, we, we see each other less. But, you know, usually at the name show in L.A. or I play at the Breedlove booth or it's a nice connection. Well, you mentioned now talking clinics, and this kind of leads into the uh, the final couple questions here. And one of the questions I like to ask people, if somebody only had 10 minutes a day to play mandolin, what would you recommend them working on that you think would really help them as a player? Yeah, I guess after years of playing, you know, we first you have like these formative years, so you try to do, you know, everything. And you kind of have to do many, many things. But I guess the luxury of the later age is just to pinpoint one thing and stick with it for a while. So I think even before practicing, it's a good idea to make some sort of a plan, you know, and straighten out your musical priorities. Because, you know, we are excited about music, want to play, you know, many different styles, you know, many different things. And we cannot do it all, you know, at the same time. You know, we can do many things in due time, you know, <laughs> one after the other. So deciding what would be the most important thing I need to work on or I want to work on at this current time. And sometimes we are, um, you know, it's pretty clear if there's an upcoming concert and I'm getting ready for the concert or a recording or a workshop. But sometimes maybe in the winter months where I purposely try not to schedule much in like in January, February, which is now, and uh, to have more sort of a free musical time where I could say, okay, this would be cool. Maybe I spend time just this week focus on the diminished chord and all the things I can do with it and you know, where do I find it on the neck or things like that. So 10 minutes, it's, you know, I have to say it is a pretty short time, you know. But, sure. And uh, it's certainly good to warm up. And the warm up could be perhaps done even in one or two minutes, but at least some, you know, sort of an exercise, especially for the left hand fingers. You know, I think we all know the feelings when you warmed up or not. So, you know, if you played a lot the day before, then you might not need much. But if you haven't played for a while, so playing slow, you know, even before playing, just, you know, closing the fist, opening it, you know, just kind of massaging your left hand a little bit with the right hand. So you get the blood flowing and it really gets warm. And then, you know, focusing on the thing which you select. It could be 
either that you're doing some technical exercises just to stay in shape, and the technical exercises could be the right hand or left hand oriented, either scales or uh, different strumming or, or tremolo, or you would be trying to improve existing tunes. And if it's something which you already played, see if you could make it sound better. We can start with the thought that everything can be played even better, you know, with a better timing, better performance value, you know, maybe being more relaxed when we play. So it's certainly a great idea to play with the metronome, you know, on regular basis to check on your timing and because it changes, you know, it, depending how we feel uh, inside. And you know, someday we are, you know, on the top of our game. Sometimes we feel crummy. And I believe it may influence the timing. So it's like that's our sort of a checking device, you know. So do I rush today? Do I drag? Or, you know, timing, tone, trying to come up with a nice clean tone. So synchronization of the both hands. So that's improving the existing piece. Or it could be something completely new, just a learning a new piece or maybe learning, okay, today I'm going to work on improvisation in A-flat. So just that's the concept. And of course, we cannot do all of that in 10 minutes. So <laughs> definitely, yeah, it starts with a plan, you know, what I work on. And it's nice, as I said at the beginning, it's a luxury when you can just focus on one thing at a time. And at a time would be, you know, could be like a week or maybe two weeks, you know, working on the same thing day after day. And that's where you see the, I believe, the most advancement, the most progress, because you come to it day after day. And usually when you pick up the instrument, you'll feel the impact of yesterday's practice. And, you know, the other thing, the beauty of this instrument is if you just sit down for 10 minutes, I think, and, and, and kind of use that as a just like a guide, it seems like it always leads to more than 10 minutes. You know, I've definitely run late to more than more than one thing by just being like, I'll just pick this up and run through this real quick. And then next thing I know, you know, I'm super late for something that I should have been, I should have left for, you know, you got, you got to watch what you're doing when you pick it up, but it's really easy to get lost in it. Absolutely. I know. (laughs) Yes. Yes. But it's also the beauty of it. You know, I guess that's why we do it. I think it's like a, it's our meditation, you know, it, it's some sort of a yoga. It's like a healthy drug, you know, a healthy addiction. <laughs> yes, exactly. It, now, um, do you teach private lessons as well? We're doing this via this call via Skype. Do you use that to teach lessons? I used to teach a lot. Um, these days, it's less. It's just, you know, a lot of other duties of life and the musical a music live and a business, but mostly I'm focusing on the summer music camps in the States, but some in Europe too, and weekend workshops. And I do have a few private students over Skype, which I had for a long time and from different parts of the world. And some students come maybe just for one lesson or, or check up or if they have a specific interest in just one thing, which is a short term. So I'm certainly open to helping out anybody who will approach me. So you can easily contact me through my website, just zenkel.com. And there's a contact and just email me and uh, I'll be happy to help out as much as I can. Awesome. And I'll add the links, how they can get to you and how they get to your duo website as well. And just to give people an idea, and actually one of these I think is really great that doesn't get probably talked about enough. Um, the first one of the courses that you're teaching at Swananoa, for for instance, is, is modern mandolin, which absolutely makes sense. <laughs> and then... The second one, though, is ear training, which I think is another thing that I'm always trying to get better on. And and just you can really go down an ear training rabbit hole. So that's something that people can pick up from you as well. Yes, thanks. You know, my father was a classical musician, so I guess I got some of that from him. 
And um, it's something which I'm genuinely interested in. You know, the learning never ends. You know, of course, I love intuitive playing, but I also like the sort of science or the logic behind it, you know, how it is. And uh, I also, at some point, wanted to do the workshops for more than just mandolin players or mandolin and guitar players to offer something to all musicians, you know. So this workshop can also attract violin players and uh, flute players and, you know, just any musicians on any instrument. And at the Swannanoa gathering, you know, it's a great musical camp. Um, and there are, I believe, like seven mandolin instructors, you know, everybody playing and teaching their own style, which is amazing. But I thought, well, maybe, you know, I'll offer one mandolin class and one which is more general because that camp also has some banjo players and fiddle players and just, you know, other musicians who just come there. So um, looking forward to it. I already did it there uh, virtually a year and a half ago during the COVID time. It was supposed to be live, but then it couldn't be. So I taught it online and I got a number of people signing up and we had a lot of fun for the whole week. And I tried to teach it in a non-standard way, not like from the classical books, but really use examples from our own, you know, bluegrass world and, and folk world, learning about the intervals, about the degrees of the scale, about the chord, something you know, which people could really relate to. So hopefully it's much more fun and it will stick with the people. So it's not like uh, something for the exam at the music school, but something that you could really practically use and uh, become a better musician because of that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And then the, fi- the final question, Yeah. And, and, and you signed off on one of the emails yes. uh, <laughs> from the beer country. Yes, yes. So I have to know if you have a favorite beer. And as a bonus... I would even say, do you have a favorite European beer and then a favorite uh, a United States beer? Sure. I was thinking in the same way. It's not just one. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and, you know, there are many. You know, in the United States, there's so many microbrews. But um, the favorite one, which I guess I would buy most often living on the West Coast, was the Red Hook from Seattle. And uh, I used to like Amber Ale. Unfortunately, they no longer make it, they no longer brew it, but then they have the ESB, so Red Hook. And then um, from Ireland is Beamish, which is very similar to Guinness, but to me it's even more thick. You know, it's brewed in cork, and it's, you know, centuries old brewery, and you cannot get it much, you know, outside of Ireland, or you just have to special order it to find it, but the best thing is right there, you know, on tap in a pub. Yes, and, that's the um, best experience. Yes, and the Czech beer would be Radegast. It's a, I'll spell it, uh, R-A-D-E-G-A-S-T, and it comes from my sort of a hometown or town where I lived the most when I was a boy, Ostrava, and it's a great tasting beer. Uh, years ago, even beat the Pilsen Urquell in, in competition as number one in Czech Republic, and uh, so it's still my favorite. Well, Ron, this has been an absolute pleasure talking with you. I wish I knew the exact date that I bought that Tone Poets album because I've been a fan of you since that day. <laughs> I mean, that's that song absolutely wow, well, stuck you. with me, thank and so it's 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 been great to connect with you and have you on the podcast and ask these uh, all these questions that have been like. Just uh, every time I listen to you, I'm always like, how did he think of that? How did he think of that? So I really appreciate you taking the time. All these albums that we've been talking about, or a majority of these albums are available at Acoustic Disc. And um, the brand new one, uh, Eastern Grass, is just a stellar 
collection. I highly recommend you go out and get it. And again, also the Acoustic Encounters podcast with Rodham and Dog and uh, and Danny Barnes over there is also there. And you should check that out to get more of Rodham's backstory. Rodham, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, you're welcome. It's my pleasure to be to be here with you. Thanks. <laughs>